Good morning. Um, the topic of this workshop is Bill's story, and we're running from 9.45 to 10.45. Um, my name is Matthew, and I'm a compulsive reader, and I'm one of the leaders for this meeting. Um, the other speaker is? Megan. Okay. This session is being taped, and it won't be edited. Um, please note that the session might be available online or on a podcast feed, so anyone wishing to remain anonymous, use an anonymous name. Uh, will someone volunteer to be a timer? Okay, thank you. Got gotcha. you. Um, if uh, so, the speakers will be speaking for five, uh, twenty minutes. If you give us a five-minute warning, and uh, uh, when we share, we'll be doing three minutes, and you give them a one-minute warning. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. So. Um, again, my name is Matthew. I'm still an overeater. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. I've uh, I've been abstinent for 18 months. I've been in this program for about two years. I've been in another program for a real long time. All right. I never got well and really truly well until I came into OA, though. And it's probably the more important of the two programs for me that I work, um, just to let you know to qualify. Um, so... The topic of this morning is is Bill's story, and um, you know Bill Wilson or Bill W is you know he's the founder was the founder of of AA and it's from there that all these wonderful twelve step programs sprouted you know and and ours among them and the beauty is is that we all work them in similar ways. For me personally, you know um, overeating is a symptom of a disease that I have, which is addiction. All right and. Um, and I find balance in my in my various programs, um, but this is the more important of the two to me because this is where I really truly got well and 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 I've really found my peace here. But I'll get started. Um, Bill's story is really it's the first chapter of the big book. Okay, so I don't know if you attended the the, the really important a real important section is the doctor's opinion, and that's where um, the notion. Um, a description of the problem is really clearly stated, and and we have a and as I said, my compulsive eating is an addiction. It, it's it's a symptom of addiction. Okay, and and really, for us, the objective of what Bill was trying to do in Chapter Two was twelve step us. He was doing the twelve step. There's a lot of stories in the Big Book, but they're all at the end. Bill's story is the only one that's at the beginning. And he put it there because he needed to help us identify what the problem was. And for Bill, it was incredibly important. The whole notion of the approach of, of was the most important part of the 12-step, was how do you approach someone who's still sick and suffering? And it's mentioned all over the big book, so in many, many different ways. So putting his story up front was his method of really approaching us. We've come in from nowhere. We've come in from the world, and we're handed this big book, and we're handed this whole different program. Where do we start? So he starts with his own story, and the objective is, is to hope that you can identify parts of his story because once you start to identify, then you can, you can understand what the problem is and if you can identify, then you can, you'll start figuring out that there is a solution. And that's what he's trying to do here. And 
as overeaters, those of us who don't have multi-symptoms like me, sometimes it's real hard. Hey, this is a, you know, what, what I want to be reading a book about alcoholics for. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an overeater. I don't drink at all. I never drink. I just eat too much, right? That's my problem. And, and you hear that problem too. Like, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I just do heroin, you know? I mean, I mean you hear it in, in different programs all over the place, you know? But what, what it's designed to do is, is, is the notion of identification rather than comparing, all right? So what I'm going to do here is I'm not going to sit and read from the big book to you. I'm going to draw on certain passages from it. When I went through this with my sponsor, he suggested that I take a pen and I put a check mark next to every sentence where he was telling me something that I could identify with. Okay, And I work in sales, so what I try to do very often is I try to get customers that I'm trying to sell product to to, to, you know, um, to make a spin, to take what I'm selling them and spin it so that see how it works for them. And that's what I'm going to ask, what I'm asking newcomers to do when they look at literature from AA. Spin it your way. Spin it to your disease and your symptoms, okay? So um, he describes three stages of progression, okay? The first being fun, the second being function, and the third being oblivion. And I identify them in many ways, you know, when in, you know, part of my eating habits when I was young, you know, you know, the dinner table was the center of, you know, social activity. It's where there was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of battles and things like that. But it, I, I identify in that part of it. And um, and that's, you know, eating with friends, with family, and doing that part of it socially, you know. And then um, uh, then then the next part of it, function, that's when I started to crave certain foods, like, you know, sugar, and certain things, you know, made up with what, in my case, white flour and things like that. I just had to have them. If I didn't, you know, if I didn't get my donut fix, I was in trouble. You know, I couldn't pass in donut shop. You know, I mean, I figured out where all the greatest donut shops in the whole st- state of Connecticut were and made sure I went to every single one of them. And, uh, um, and that, at that point, I was, you know, eating, you know, functionally. I just, you know, had to eat. And then there was the notion of oblivion. And that was basically, you know... You know, sitting in front of the TV at midnight, eating an entire box or an entire bucket or an entire bag. This after having, you know, my three meals during the day, a couple of snacks during the day. Why? And then what? You know, this is where I'm eating to oblivion. It's where I'm eating to get, you know, to feel the comfort of eating. Okay. Um, so, um, Bill Wilson, just some history. Uh, He was born um, November 26th in 1895, and he died in um, January 24th in 1971. He was married to Lois Burnham Wilson, who happened to be the co-founder of Al-Anon. Okay. Um, One of the things, you know, he talks about, I was very lonely, and I turned to alcohol. Okay. How many of us, you know, when we're feeling really lonely, have gone to the cupboard or the fridge to get that favorite little thing that we like? Or if it wasn't there, we got in our car and we drove to the the place where they'd have it. Okay, and and because it was food that, you know, as as people who eat as addicts, there's so many, you know, there's how many twenty four hour convenience places there are. We can get food, you know. I mean, the saloons, you know, in New York, they in New York they close at four. 
you know, if you're not in Vegas or New Orleans, you, you know, you, you know, you, you're you're out of luck after a certain point. But as as food addicts, we can get food any time of the day. All we have to do is just get up off our butts and go out and find it. Okay, and and it's there. Um, and it talks about you know his story of how he went through um, his lack of humility and 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 that was shown in different ways he was he was a definite wannabe he was one that wanted to you know i have arrived he wanted to take on the entire world as the stockbroker and whatnot i mean i can definitely identify that i was uh um you know i wanted to be the best that i could possibly be um, I wanted to do that because I wanted to overcome all of the other weaknesses that I had that had led to my – I was covering for my, my low self-esteem. So I had to be better than everybody else. I had to be the leader of my peers because I couldn't believe it myself and I didn't believe that I measured up. And that's the other form of lack of humility. There's the two forms. There's the one where you walk and walk around thinking that your stuff don't stink. And then there's the form of where you don't think you measure up. And both of these are not, you're not being humble. You got to be, you know, and what we've learned, what we learn in program is that we have to become comfortable in our own skin, that God loves us for what we are and who we are. And it doesn't really matter what we think. As long as we believe that God loves us, then others will love us and we'll love ourselves. And that's the most, that's, that's how we become humble. And uh, so, um, you know, he was a stockbroker. You know, he, he went to, um, he tried law school and decided that wasn't for him. He almost flunked out. And, and you know, I nearly flunked out of, you know, out of graduate school because of my other addiction and stuff like that. But I, I managed to get through it and I white-knuckled and got through it. Um, um, all, the while, all the while I was doing that, I was also doing my compulsive eating because at the end of the night, you know, um, I, you know, I used to often, you know, I felt that if I ate, I wouldn't have a hangover. And that was part of the insanity and part of the myth, too, because I'd still wake up. It didn't matter. Um, but he goes on, you know, he went on through his career. He became a stockbroker in the 20s. And, of course, we know what happened in the stock market in the 20s. But basically, he was going around trying to get all these schemes of where he could um, make money for um, people who had money. And the problem was, is every time he'd get a he'd get a good job, he couldn't hold it because he he was a drunk. He just went out and just got drunk. And um, um, so he had. What happened is eventually, as he meets one of the key meetings in his life is was a man, um, Doctor William Silkworth. And if you went to the doctor's opinion, he was the the head of the Charlestown's Hospital in New York City, which is um, was on Central Park West up between 89th and 90th Street. Um, I go to concerts at the Beacon Theater every year with my sponsor, and we make pilgrimages there. He, he insists that we drive by. We do a drive by there. It's a really luxury uh, co-ops and condos there now, but you know the building's still there. Um, and he went there several times, and... It was there that Dr. Silkworth really helped him understand what the problem was, and that's the whole notion of, of obsession and allergy. Okay, as, as a compulsive overeater, I think about food. You know, I mean, I, at, there was a time where I lived to eat. You know, I'd go on vacation, and every part of my vacation was planning where the next meal was, where was the snack going to be, which restaurant were we going to go to, where are we going to go to this city? No, we wanted to go to that one because the food, the, the restaurants were better in that city. So that was the compulsion, and, and 
with me and with us, the notion is, is that once you take the first sip or for us, it's the first bite. We can't stop if it's a trigger food. You know, I, 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 and if I eat that magic trigger food, I'm eating. And like I said, it's the whole bucket. You know, you know, you go out, you go out, and you buy a bag of your bag for yourself and a dozen for the family, and you end up eating the last two in your driveway because you don't want to walk in with a box with only two in there because you've eaten every, all the others on your way home. There's that. That's that's the that's the allergy. That's the allergy that I have to certain foods mostly sugar and, and those types of things. Um, so I have to, uh, I have to, you know, be really careful. And what's really another important pivotal person in Bill's life was his friend, Ebby Thatcher. Ebby Thatcher was a school chum and a drinking buddy of his. And one day in 1934, in November 1934, um, Ebby shows up at Bill's house and they sit in his kitchen and, um, Ebby was sober. He was stone sober, and he looked like he had never looked before. And um, Bill said, you know, what's going on? And and Ebby said, um, I got religion. And what he was talking about was he had, um, he had been plucked from the brink of being locked up in an institution by two gentlemen. One of, his, one of their names was a man by... Uh, Roland H. Roland Hazard, and what had happened? Roland Hazard was came from a fairly wealthy ha- family. He had a severe drinking problem, so he went to he went to Austria to seek the help of one Doctor Sigmund Freud, who couldn't see him, who wouldn't see him because he wasn't taking patients. So then he went to Doctor Adler, who was one of the other famous psychiatrists, and he wouldn't see him. So his final shot was he went to see the uh, psychiatrist, Doctor Carl Jung. Okay, and Carl Jung basically said, medically, I can't help you. We can't help you. There's nothing we can do for you. And he said, sometimes people were able to get well if they had some kind of a psychic phenomenon. They were able to find this notion of something that was greater than themselves, and it was through that kind of psychic phenomenon that they were able to get well. And so Roland, and Roland took this to heart, and he went back. He joined the Oxford group. He got sober. And part of what the Oxford group did was going out and helping others. So he and one of his friends went and got Abby out of going to the 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 you know the, the institution. And it was Abby who was the first twelve step to Bill. And it was Abby, Ebby. Uh, I'm sorry, Ebby. One of the things he he told Bill all about the Oxford group. And the, and the basic steps that, that, you know, he described what went on there. And, um, and basically the uh, Oxford group, the steps were um, sharing inventory, helping others, acknowledging wrongs, surrender to Christ. It was a Christian program. Um, restitution for wrongs and relying and listening and accepting Christ. Okay. And Bill had a real hard time with that because Bill was an agnostic. He was, you know, he was raised... And by his grandparents, but he had a, you know, real problem with religion. So, what happened is eventually, you know, Bill went on a number of different sprees, and eventually, uh, one of the things that Ebby did say to him that was a pivotal thing is, is why don't you try to figure out what your own conception is of God? And that 
is what Bill took to heart. And that's where we get the whole notion of the, of the, the higher power of our understanding. Being able to go out and figure out what that is. And after a number of different runs, um, I think four of them, Bill winds up back in towns. And during that time, he had a spiritual experience. He saw the white light. And um, when he saw that uh, white light, he experienced what he called the, uh, the fourth dimension of existence. And that's just basically being in a certain peace and a certain serenity that you've never, never, ever felt before. Um, so, um, and what I wanted to do is I do want to read a passage that talks about what he felt. Okay. Um, after that white light, it said, There I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. Okay. That was the point where he had taken the first step. He admitted he was powerless. Okay. And one of the things that became essential to him in working with Dr. Silkworth, one of the things that he told him about is that he went out and he tried to help others. But when he first went out, he was not really successful because he went out and he was preaching to them. He was, you know, he was going out and preaching the virtues of not drinking. He was doing almost kind of like the temp, um, temperance kind of thing. And um, Dr. Silkworth, you know, took him aside and, and mentioned the fact that in one of the books they had been reading um, by James is, is you have to, in order to get someone to be willing to change, they have to have a complete and utter deflation of ego. And that's from William James, in one of the books that um, Bill had read on spiritual experience. And this is where Bill's, and it's pivotal because that's where he starts the whole notion of the approach. And when the, what we're taught when we go through the steps is that when it's time for us to go out and spread the message to others, we shouldn't preach. When we don't, we don't go and talk to somebody unless they really want to listen, whether they're interested. You know, if they have no interest, then move on. The approach is the most important part of the thing, and it's where we tell our story. Because we're compulsive overeaters, it makes our story believable, and it makes them want to understand that there is a solution. All right? My highest weight before I came to the program, I was 305 pounds. Okay. And over the 18 months that I've been abstinence, I've lost 140. I am on the verge of reaching my goal weight. I work with somebody. I work with a, a coach who helps me. Um, um, it's teetering back and forth because he wants me to gain muscles. He's got me doing lifting and things like that because... I'm sixty. I'm sixty-one years old, and as you know, as I go further into my twilight, I want to get more strength because I want to be strong. I want to be a strong old guy. I don't want to be a weak old, old weak and feeble. I want to be strong, 
And so it's important for me. So that's where I am now. Um, I wouldn't be anywhere without the program, okay? Um, I, you know, my last drink was decades ago, all right? And, and I watched my life come apart after being a dry drunk for many years. And the cure for me to get recovery, recovered and, and find the peace and get to the place where I was, was coming into these rooms. And I had my spiritual experience was in my first OA meeting. My, my experience, I walked in, I, I had tried to go to a, an OA meeting on a Saturday. I watched five real nice ladies walk into the room and I couldn't go in. I sat in my car, I could not go in. Because I had been taught the men with the men and the women with the women by the, the other program and they're real staunch on that. And I couldn't go in, I was afraid to go in. And I sat in my car for a half hour and I wept because I was really upset because I knew I was powerless. So what I did is I did what my sponsor had told me to do and what my other program, I went to a meeting and I shared about it. And, and I shared about it with the intent that there was another meeting that I was going to go to. And I said, I'm going to leave this and I'm going. And an angel met me in the parking lot. They escorted me to an OA meeting. And as soon as I heard the invitation to you, I felt the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. And it was the strangest, most profound feeling I've ever had. And when the, when the three angels, ladies, embraced me after the meeting, I felt a warmth that I hadn't felt ever. And I felt at peace, and I knew that I can get well. And I did. I mean, I, I'm, I'm never cured. Never cured, it's forever. But, I'm, you know, it's one day at a time. And I'll keep coming. Thanks. Everybody. My name is Megan. I'm a pulsar reader. Uh, you can't hear me? Can you hear me now? Let me lower it. I'm a little shorter. Okay. Cool. I can bend it? Is that better? Okay. Thanks. I'm a little nervous. I signed up and I was like, why am I signing up? Um, but I'm signing up because I wanted to do service and I was asked. I got an email and I was like, oh, I should sign up. Um, I'm qualified to be here very much so I've been in program now for three years with back-to-back abstinence which I is a miracle because I I was miserable before this program um I am maintaining a 70 pound weight loss which I'm really grateful as well um so when I went to sign up there was only two things available and one of them I it was like the hundred pounders and then it was this and I was like, well, I can't qualify for hundred pounders. I, I haven't lost hundred pounds. And then I was like, I'm not quite sure about Bill's story because I'm a woman, I'm 33 and this guy is from the twenties and he's writing this story. And that's how I felt about it when I first read it. And I've been through the steps in, in an AWOL and through the OA 12 and 12 and I've done that. And then that's how I maintained my first, my first year of abstinence. And then I started to get really, I got in the way of everything. My thinking, I was miserable. I was getting depressed. I was going through these little spirals and spirals. And people kept on talking about big book, the big book, go to the big book. And so 
I started going to meetings and I had read Bill's story before going to meetings and didn't really relate to it at all. And then I found a big book steps today sponsor and I started and I'm writing my fourth step right now. So I haven't been through the whole process yet, but I started reading Bill's story with my, you know, I underlined everything and I started underlining things that actually related, started circling things. And with reading it with my sponsor, I started to have this overwhelming feeling of being loved. And I was really like astonished by this and I didn't quite understand it. And I, I told my sponsor this and, and we talked a little bit more about it. And what I realized is because I had been through a spiritual experience similar to Bill, that this 12 step, this 12 stepping had happened to me and that I was loved by a higher power. And it was incredibly profound. And for me, because I, I knew this, but reading it and then relating it to this man 20 years ago who started this program that then influenced OA was astonishing to me. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about what I related to it in it. And in the beginning of his story, he talks a lot about his ego. He talks a lot about his pride. He talks a lot about his cockiness and the fun and then being overwhelmed by, by alcohol. And for me, I was definitely out of the two, like either being like really, really as the speaker before described it, like the two of not being humble. You're either like incredibly cocky or you're really in the depths of self-pity. I was in the depths of self-pity and I used to think that I was not selfish because I was constantly thinking like less of myself and that everyone was better than me. And I was telling myself this lie that that wasn't self-centered. And I was in such these, I was so overwhelmed and so in denial constantly throughout my early years of eating and to the point where I was also very lonely, similar to Bill. I was out in the world trying to make my life, trying to start a career that was really, 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 really difficult and constantly working really hard. And then I would eat to, to numb myself out because I couldn't manage it. And I was constantly riddled with anxiety and fear and just constantly trying to feel fulfilled and filling this like bottom hole that I had inside of me with food. And there's this part, let's see, sorry, I'm a a little over the place. Let me see. Hold on. I think he was talking about, so what ended up happening with me that is similar to Bill is that I started to get into these cycles where I would eat and eat and eat. And because I was lonely and because I was in these depths of self-pity and I would then get up and make these proclamations to my family and to myself that I would stop eating, that I could do it. I was going to get, you know, I was going to join Weight Watchers. I was going to like exercise. I was, I made up all these elaborate plans and I kept on being like looking for the answer and looking for the answer outside of myself and looking 
for weight loss programs and what other people had done. And my family would get on these diets and then they would try to help me. And that's why they were all getting on the diet. But really they were, because no one could talk to me about it because I would get so angry with them and yell at them. And like, I was, I was a horrible person and just like in such denial and no one wanted to talk, but everybody was trying to support me. And I kept on going to these things and being like, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And then I'd fail. I'd wake up the next morning and I'd be eating like three meals in the morning and then I'd want more. And I just kept on, kept on going and kept on going. And what's interesting in Bill's story is that he has this long phase where he kept on drinking and kept on drinking. And then he gets to this point where he's like, I don't want to drink anymore. And he thinks that self-knowledge will help him. And that's where I was. I was like, as long as I knew what to do, or if I knew like the right way to eat, or if I got like the right plan, my self-knowledge, like, oh, I just won't eat these foods. Like I, I knew that sugar and flour, especially white flour, were really not good for me. And I was like, well, if I could stop eating those for a little bit, I'd be okay. But I'd always fail, constantly always failing. And I started to get into this pit of depression and because I, I thought it was a moral issue. I thought that something was wrong with me, that I was just forever going to be this way and that nothing was going to solve, solve it. And it is through the grace of God because I was similar to Bill. Bill, earlier in the story, he talks about how you know, the stock market crashed and people were jumping off of buildings and he goes, oh, I would never do that. But he goes to the bar, which is in a sense suicide in itself. And that's what I was doing. I was in denial being like hating myself, being like I would never kill myself. I'm, I'm a therapist and I work with people and I'm supposed to help them with their feelings. So like so riddled in, in this ego, so riddled in this like deception of myself and self-centeredness that I would then go and eat and continue to eat, killing myself slowly. And then I got to this point where I actually wanted and was thinking about killing myself because I couldn't go on because every day I'd get up and say I was going to do it and I'd close all the windows and close all the doors in my house and I'd stay in bed and I'd order takeout and then order from another place so that they wouldn't know, and then order it again, and then steal my roommate's food. And it just kept on going, and I became insane, similar to Bill, and the insane of alcohol. I had the this, this same insanity, and I didn't. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't drink alcohol now, but I don't have a. I don't get the same obsession. And while this was all happening, there were constant people in my life, reminders, program was constantly, my dad is a recovering alcoholic and he's been, that's his recovery, but he's been in recovery for a very long time. And I would often call him and tell him what I was going through. And we didn't know about OA at all. Um, not at all. And, but my dad like heard something in my words to him constantly. And he knew that I was like Bill and that I was like him, but with food. 
And he would constantly offer me this spiritual solution on the phone. And I'd get so mad at him because I know all the slogans. And I was like, okay, all right, dad. But I kept on going to him and asking, and he kept on offering me the same thing. And slowly through my, my child, like in my young adulthood, my dad would show up and be like, Hey, you know, this food addict showed up at a meeting the other day. You should look into that. Like he kept on hinting at it. And I kept on being like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. And then finally I ended up changing my career because I was miserable and I thought changing my career would solve the problem. And that's when I went into therapy. Um, and I went into, I didn't want to take the addiction course, but all my friends were taking the addiction course. So I was like, oh, I should take the addiction course. And I walk in, the first assignment is to go to a 12-step meeting and OA is on it. And I was like, well, I've been to AA before. I've been to those meetings. I go with my dad. I've been to Al-Anon because my dad kind of pushed me into Al-Anon because he was like, this is the answer. This is the answer. And I was like, oh, I'll go. And I went. And I knew that's where I needed to be. But I was still operating on self-knowledge. And I was still not ready. And I met with someone, and she sat down with me, and we went through the first, the first chapters, um, just talked about them, of this big book and Bill's story, and talked about Bill's story. And I told her that I was a compulsive reader. I told her that I had a problem, but I didn't go back. And I was in the food again for two more years, and that's when I wanted to kill myself. And I had gone, and what led me to wanting to kill myself was that I had graduated from college, from grad school, and I went, I had a part-time job, and I was looking for another job. And I couldn't find anything. And then I lost my part-time job. And then I didn't have enough money to stay where I was living. And I was having panic attacks. And my heart was hurting. And I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up and walk sometimes. And I was 30 years old. And I went to my doctor, who happened to be my landlord. Um, So it was right downstairs. I'm also riddled with fear and constantly hypochondriac too, um, which is now being healed too by the grace of God. But I went in to his office and he checked out my heart and he was, he was scared. And normally I'd go into the doctor and they'd be like, you know, you should lose some weight. And I'd be like, no, it's cancer. You have to keep on looking. And then they'd be like, no, you're fine. You're, you're just, you're anxious. And I thought that was what I was going to hear that night. That's not what I heard. I heard him say that I had a problem and that I had to do something about it and that I had to stop eating sugar and flour and I had to exercise and that if I didn't do it, I was going to die and that he wanted me to come back the next two, the next day and see someone for my heart and I told him I couldn't because I didn't have health insurance and that's why I was coming to him because he helped me out when I didn't have health insurance. And he said, well, if anything happens tonight, you need to go to the hospital. And I went upstairs and I cried. And I called my dad. And similar to Bill, when I called my dad, I was crying. And my dad, he starts laughing at me on the phone. 
And I'm like, why are you laughing? This is serious. I'm going to die. And he's like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy because you've hit this bottom. You're there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you have to get on your knees now. You have to surrender. You have to ask God to help you and then go to a meeting. And so I did it that night. And then I went to a meeting the next day. I usually, for the first time, did what I was told. And I walked into that meeting, and I didn't share, but I listened. And there was a girl in that meeting that told her story and 12-stepped me in the meeting and told me how God removed the weight, how God helped her, how God returned her to sanity. And I cried. And I went home, and I was like, I'm going to eat my breakfast. I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm really scared. And had these conversations out loud because no one was there because I was isolating myself from people just like Bill. And I ate my, my breakfast, and then there was this overwhelming voice inside of me that was like, it wasn't me. I don't quite understand, but it was stern, forceful, but soft and loving, and was like, you're done now. And I haven't compulsively over it, eaten since. And I had a spiritual experience in that moment. And it wasn't until I read this with Big Book Step Study sponsor that I realized that that is what, like really that that was what was happening, that God was coming into my life, that my higher power was helping me. And then what's beautiful about Bill's story is then he tells you exactly what to do in it and that you have to write everything down. You have to get rid of all this stuff that blocks you from the sunlight of the spirit. And that's, you just got to lay it out and then you just hand it over and God's got you. Your higher power has you, but you have to be willing and that's all you have to be is willing. And he says it here. It's like even italicized, so you know it's important. It's, if I can find it. Hold on. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point upon a foundation of complete willingness. I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. So it's right there. It's promised to everybody. And my dad told me that. And then people in these rooms tell me that. And every time I come to these rooms, they tell me that. Because that's what I needed. I needed hope. Because I didn't have any before this program. And this is something I constantly have to do. I now have to do it with my thoughts all the time. Because I am so quick to go into self-pity so quick to go into that spiral of self-centeredness. And then that's what this book's about. It's about releasing that selfishness so that you can be of service and help people. And that's how he ends it. And he says that the only way that he could stay sober was to help others. And that's the only way that I can not eat compulsively and not eat sugar is to help others. And is to do things like get up here, even though I'm petrified to speak in public. Um, I don't know how much time I have left, but I, 
Okay. I'm going to actually end there. I want to hear what everybody else has to say. Thank you. Sorry, I have to read. Hold on. Uh, hold on. This workshop will end at 1045. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. The timer will signal you when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, come to the front of the room and form a line to the right. You must sign the release form before you speak. Step up to the microphone and introduce yourself. Tell where you are from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only to the recover to the personal recovery, sorry, only to your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of this meeting. For those who arrive late, the topic of this workshop is Bill's story. The meeting is now open for sharing. Connecticut. I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, I've been in the program since the mid-80s. I lost 165 pounds or, or so. My, you know, you know. before that, my life was uh, really unmanageable. Um, I, I, yeah, I, went, I went up after getting married and my wife got very sick. I started just putting on weight and it just kept on creeping on. It was in the food business, so it was like a bartender around food. Um, and, uh, you know, was self-willed and wild. And then I did uh, have a spiritual awakening. I did get a food plan, and I, but I wasn't working the program. I was working the spirit of the program. And until 15 months ago, I landed on my shoulder, I tore my rotator cuff, I was in isolation in the house, and I was just miserable, um, and I started packing on the, the, the weight again, and I, I, I had to do something, and I just reached bottom, and I said, I'm going to give my whole will and my life over to this deal, and I did, and I got the sponsor, and I'm working the steps, and I got a food plan, and it's it's an action program, and if I, and um, I just take one day at a time. I follow. I go I go to a lot of meetings um, because this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. When I think I have it, I, there's always something. Uh, you know, I, I I learned I have to accept life on life's terms, and. Yeah, I can get it all together and everything is going beautiful. And then something hits hits me in the face like, where did this come from? And um, I just have to walk through the fear. It's a, it's a deal that I have to take the action. And if I do and I keep working it and I wait for the miracles, um, I, I believe they will happen. But I had to reach that bottom where there was no other place to go. 
and God could and he would if you were saw. And, and like they say, um, you know, he's, you know, I have to rely on God, infinite God, not finite self. Self will avail us nothing. So I just smash my ego and keep doing the next right thing. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Rhonda. I'm a compulsive overeater. I am from Nova Scotia, Canada, and I've been abstinent for two and a half years and have been in program for a few years on and off before that. Uh, thank you very much for your shares. I learned a lot this morning. I got out of this session already what I wanted to, and, and I love these three-minute pitches. Uh, and I'm also thankful for Bill and our founders before us that had the wherewithal to capture their learnings, their experiences, put it pen to paper, and um, enable millions of people to recover afterwards. I'm so grateful for that. And I hope that they are, wherever they are, that that they, they know that they, they've, uh, they've helped so many people. I wanted to share a couple of things that inspired me on page 12 and 13. And Bill has shared that when thinking about how you define your higher power, one of the things that you can define is or or relate to is the spirit of nature and for me that's that's my higher power and interestingly enough on those two pages he's got the word roots in there so I I was sitting there just sort of visualizing myself as a tree and in program using tools working steps uh, connecting with my fellows my roots are getting stronger they are anchoring me down so that when the winds of change come along and when hurricanes come, when I'm at a buffet, when I'm at a potluck or whatever, and all these influences are literally swaying me, my roots are strong enough to stay true to program. Um, and something that Matthew had read on page 13 about um, taking roots and branches away, I sort of visualized some dead limbs kind of hanging off me as a, as a tree. And those gentle winds take away my fears, my insecurities, uh, my resentments, and they drop down. But still, my roots get stronger. I've also learned that um, trees talk to one another through their root system. And to me, that's fellowship. So they're kind of talking to one another, saying, the water's over here. Come on, grow your roots over here. So <laughs> I love that underground, that uh, that, that conversation is happening, and, and it just reminds me of, of our sharings and what we learn from, from one another. Um, oh, and also this time of year, I, I relate to uh, trees with leaves, whatever they're called. What are they called? Trees? Whatever. Yeah. So um, what was to me beautiful just a few months ago and, and changing colors now look a little bare. They don't look as interesting as they used to. But it, it reminds me that in a couple of months, they're going to, you know, life is, is going to change. Um, things are going to get better. They're going to look better. They're going to physically look better. Um, and things will be great again. So it's just, again, a reminder that um, accepting things that come. And, and things will change. So I'll, I'll finish that as a tree. At the end of my life, somebody's going to chop me down. <laughs> I'm going to fall. Um, 
but my roots are still going to be there. So it's, uh, it's, it's knowing that me working the program that, you know, they can't take that away that, uh, and I'm still going to be with my fellows even after I get chopped down. Thanks. Hi, I'm Laurel. I'm a food addict and compulsive overeater. And um, I'm really grateful to be here. And one of my favorite, this is Bill's story, is one of my favorite chapters in the big book. And um, the one thing I really relate to is when he and his wife hop in their car and go and start driving to a new world that's going to save them both. And um, I myself did that um, when I met my ex-husband. Um, we hopped in a van. Oh, we hopped in a van and went on a. I quit my job and went on a six-week trip cross country. And um, this was an ideal because I had already decided I was going to marry him. There was no talk of anything like that, but um, that was what was going to save me. So um, going onward, to make a long story short, um, we were married a few years and then got divorced. And then at the urging of the therapist, I, oh, I had tried all kinds of different weight loss things. There was one that I tried that you would eat what you were craving, and, as long as, and when you ate it, you would be satisfied, so you would never eat it again. You wouldn't eat it any more of it. Well, I think everyone here knows that doesn't work. So, um, so I went into program in the mid-'80s after I got divorced and um, was really wanting to lose the weight um, so I could meet someone else. So... Um, so I went to my first meeting, and I didn't like it. It was a really strict meeting. I didn't feel like I fit in there. So I went back to therapy, and my therapist said, well, try another meeting. So, uh, so I did, and I lost 80 pounds that time. However, um, I sponsored myself. Um, I, I had a sponsor on and off, not not. Not like I do now. So I wound up... Um, so I, let, I got into another really bad relationship. And then I, um, I got out of it. And I decided at that time that I, I didn't want to come and listen to anybody's sob stories anymore. So I left program and proceeded to have a 16-year relapse... And I had not done the steps. Um, I sponsored myself. Um, what else? I went to a lot of meetings. Oh, that's the time already? Um, so to wrap up, I, am, I came back after 16 years of isolating, sitting in my house, eating, going shop, going to the store, get my stash, and just go home and isolate. And um, I, can't, I knew I'd always come back, so I came back 16 years later. And I've been back for about seven years. And 
I got have a sponsor, I have a step sponsor, and I've been through the big book step study process, and it has saved my life. Hello, family. My name is Nadia, and I am from Toronto, Canada. I'm a little bit taller than the average. <laughs> um, so I'm so grateful to be here. I was sort of debating. I mean, I knew deep down that I wanted to be here, but just the logistics of getting here from Toronto just was overwhelming. And now I find that whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, all I have to do is surrender and just say, okay, God, I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to do this, but you're going to do, you're, we're going to do it together. So every day, whenever I go for a walk, I go for a walk with God. Every time I put my socks on, I put my socks on with God. I can't do anything without my higher power. And I'm grateful. I am a grateful recovering, um, food addict, compulsive overeater. And, um, I've been in OA for 22 years. The first night that I went to my first meeting, I heard the word God, and I thought, I can't relate. People hugging each other, that I don't even know these people. I can't relate. I'm out of here. But then this little person <laughs> said she had two years of not eating compulsively, and I thought, wow, that's incredible. Two years. Well, so um, day by day, one day at a time, I've accumulated 20, over 22 years. Now, I was the absolute worst um, chocoholic. And when people say to me, like, you don't even want a little piece or whatever, no, because I know what that, what that would lead to. Um, so with Bill's story, I, um, you know, I met my husband. We were in grade 7, and this is grade 7 French class. And had no idea that I'd still be married after 33 years to this guy. I mean, we didn't start dating in grade 7. It was um, the first year of university. Anyway, that's incredible. I've got like one minute left. Okay. <laughs> um, so what I do, so what, what, what was I like? I was just insane. And then after my first meeting, I absolutely had a spiritual awakening. I went home and there was nothing I wanted in the cupboard. There was nothing I wanted in the fridge. And I just wanted what these people had. And um, so I have, I've had several different sponsors, um, you know, getting what I need and, um, you know, in contact with people, recovered people in program um, daily. And I get on my knees. Actually, before I get out of bed, I do upon awakening. Um, I recite that in my head. So that gets my head where it's supposed to be and not in insanity. And um, that is it. I am so grateful. <laughs> Hi, good morning. I'm Pat G from uh, New Hampshire. And very hi, very grateful to be here. And um, you know, I and when I came into the room this morning, I really didn't think that I would be up here speaking. I just was here to learn a little bit more about Bill and Bill's story. Um, but I sat there and got inspired to to get up and and share that. Um, 
I've been in program for for an, almost five years now. Wow, can't even believe that. And abstinent for um, most of that time, not all of it, but most of that time. And um, my experience with program has not been of the um, like super wonderful, you know, big kind of thing. I I don't know. Uh, in terms of my um, experience of my higher power, I guess. Um, I I grew up um, with a God in my life, and I did trust and rely on him at several points of my life um, prior to program. But he was it was only for crisis things, so I call him my crisis God. You know, like um, when I was a kid and my father was an alcoholic, and I used to – you know, if if I thought he was going to be, if he, if he wasn't coming home at a reasonable time, I was praying that he was going to be safe, that he would come home, and um, but all the time I was hating the fact. You know, I would get up the next morning and go, if my father died today, I wouldn't even go to his funeral. You know, that's the kind of person, that's the kind of thinking I had as as a kid about about those things. And but obviously, God was in my life um, as a mom. I, when I learned that um, my 12-year-old daughter was c- coming, oh wow, coming home from school and and drinking um, at, at home, I immediately started praying and come up, came up with a really wonderful solution and helped her stop drinking. Um, and but for me in program, my first experience of God in my life was really in this very mundane sort of thing. I was wor- working, and one of the things I do in my job is create budgets and have to balance them and you know reconcile them at the end. And I was trying to do the reconciliation part, and I couldn't get those numbers to, to at balance to save my life. And so I got up. I said, I'm going for a walk. I'm in program now. So I avoided the vending machines, which is probably where I would have gone, and just walked up and down the stairs of the building twice and went back into my office, sat in my chair, and within 10 minutes, everything was balanced. Why? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know where the answers came I, at the time, and I still don't, but that happened to, and and that's actually happened twice and so I, now I go around who knew god was such a good accountant but <laughs> god can do anything and that was my real first experience uh experiencing god in my life as in a way thanks how low does this go okay good uh, my name is Anita J, and I'm from Massachusetts. But the uh, disease started back in Illinois. It's portable, just like the recovery. And I want to talk about my gratitude for Bill W. I always said, no, I'm a friend of Lois, I'm a friend of Roseanne, then I became a friend of Tony. But for gosh sake, without him, we would have nothing. And... The interesting thing, I mean, about for me is when I came in in 1978, um, that's all we had. You know, so many old-timers know that. And the AA 12 and 12. I thought, okay, this is temporary. We're reading this um, until we get our own literature. 
And this is my mother. My mother should have read this book, not me. And, you know, they tell you in this program, it's everything comes back to you. It was my attitude. And if OA taught me anything, and if Bill W., it's a, is there another way to look at it, Anita? And that's what I have learned. And the thing is, now I relate every paragraph. And, um, you know, I, I, I love a particular phone meeting where we break it down, one paragraph, sometimes two, once in a while, three. And I can tell that, you know, everything, the I've arrived in the New York, that's what I wanted to be uh, arrived there from Illinois. I did, and uh, that didn't do a darn thing. And, and anyway, but the point is, all the way through, all the way through Bill's story, it is now me. And I even went last Thanksgiving. My husband had died in August, and um, it's a miracle we were married that long. I don't know how Lois stayed with him. And, uh, but that's just an aside. And um, uh, I didn't, I just couldn't picture Thanksgiving. So we did it all different. We all different. And, we went, and uh, my daughter and I went to East Dorset. You know, and we went to a meeting there at Wilson House, and we went to the grave. I mean, the whole thing was just a wonderful thing, and um, everything here. I'm trying to think of what was the biggest thing. Was the um, the uh, the uh, freedom that when I became. Um, I don't know. There's the part about where he becomes, the world becomes right-sized. You know, and that's what happened to me. I was either at the top, like you hear everybody, top or the bottom. I never belonged in the middle. And now I know we're all the same. And my insides now are um, healed. It's just, a, it's just a miracle, and we're no different from each other. I mean, I always want to tell people that. Do you know we're the same? But I don't know what they think of me. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, thank you everyone, for attending. Um, we're going to close with the serenity prayer. Uh, we'll join hands. I don't know if we'll make a circle, but we'll make a fine amoeba.